Welcome back, everybody. This is Wayne Pearson for Episode 7 of Season 3 of the Pogo Podcast. With me today is Alex Grushaw. Alex, how are you? Doing fine, Wayne. I think you have something for us today that is going to be of great interest, not just for Pogo practitioners, but for teachers everywhere. And that is how can we adopt alternative ways of grading our students' work? Yes, exactly. So um, over the years, many of us have struggled with the typical point system of grading. Uh, and there's, a, there's been a, a number of things that have come out in, in various literature forms, either in you know journals or just in books and things like that, about alternatives to the traditional grading scheme. Uh, with me today are three Pogel practitioners uh, who all use some slightly different ways uh, to assess their students. Uh, I have with me uh, Sean Garrett Rowe, who's uh, professor of chemistry, associate professor of chemistry at the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, Sean is a physical chemist there, um, and he uh, teaches both physical chemistry and general chemistry using Pogel. He's been uh, part of the Pogel Steering Committee, um, and over the last couple of years, he's been transforming how he assesses students from these high-stakes exams that we're, that we're used to to some low-stakes uh, proficiency-based assessments. Uh, I also have Nick Roster, who is from Northwestern Michigan College. He uh, teaches anatomy and physiology there and some other biology courses, uh, and he's also the assessment coordinator uh, at Northwestern Michigan. And also with me is Stephanie Erickson, uh, who uh, for a number of years was teaching uh, middle school science um, and has been using standards-based grading in uh, middle school. Uh, and she's currently working on a PhD at the University of Minnesota uh, and is a curriculum instructor uh, at University of Wisconsin River Falls. Um, and so she's all, all three of these people have been with the Pogel project for a little while. Uh, they use Pogel in the classroom. Um, but the notion of using uh, traditional grading has left our our podcast for today. And we're going to talk about alternatives. So um, I'm going to turn it over actually to Sean first. Sean, can you tell us a little bit about what you do? Uh, sure. Hi, Alex. Nice to nice to see you again. Nice to, the, nice to chat with you, Sean. The um, the basic idea for um, what I call mastery based grading is um, I got really frustrated with the high stakes assessments that I had used teaching general chemistry. I uh, I didn't feel like they were helping. I didn't feel very satisfied with the questions that I was asking. I felt like they encouraged students to have a really strong point mindset. You know, can I get my points back? Can did I can I get another half a point for this? Right. They, Rather they, than focusing bar- on the learning. Yeah, they were bargaining for points. That's that's the Abs- usual problem. Absolutely. And and so I didn't find that intellectually satisfying. And uh, you know, over the years I'd heard a lot about ways in which, you know, big high stakes exams, they the A, they stress students out. And and that's correlated with a lot of equity issues uh, folks who don't respond to high stress environments don't do well mm-hmm. and that doesn't reflect science at all right my my lab is not a high stakes exam right when we're doing science we're like we're down in the you know we try stuff it doesn't work we try again so then 
Um, I, I read some papers from the literature. So Santiago Toledo, who's, who's also pretty active in the Pogo project, um, came up with a really great idea, I thought. And, and it's got a couple ingredients that uh, assessments should align to learning objectives, that the um, objectives should be expressed at a couple different levels of sophistication, some easy questions and some hard questions, um, and explicitly telling students what levels they're working at. There's a lot more I could say about that. Um, the questions are graded proficient or not proficient. So there's no partial credit. You're just, you get the essential concept, that's a proficient response. If you don't get it, then that's a not a proficient response. And then students get multiple chances to show their proficiency. So they can try, get some feedback. Oh, you know, you made some progress, but you're not there yet. Here's what you need to work on. And then they can come back and try that assessment again. So instead of a few really big assessments, that's lots of small assessments that they can try basically every week in the class. Okay. Um, Stephanie, I'm going to turn to you. Can you describe a little bit about what you do or what you have been doing in your classroom? Yeah, uh, certainly. I come from the middle school and high school space. So our my grading is a little bit different than you would see in a college setting. Uh, I came to thinking about how my grading practices about a decade ago when I started doing some work around professional learning communities. That's when it was really hot in the um, K through 12 space. And two of the questions that PLCs need to ask is, uh, what do you want students to know and be able to do? And how do you know that um, they've learned it? And we couldn't answer those questions. Uh, we couldn't, on a day-to-day -day basis, know exactly what our students would be able to know and be able to do. And my grading practices were not aligned with being able to answer those questions. Um, so I shifted to really have to first shift my mindset as to as a teacher, my grade book needs to reflect what students know, not have they attended class, not that they show up on time, not that they do their daily homework assignments or complete their science notebooks to completion every day, but really focused on what do they really know and their grades should reflect that. Uh, I had students whose grades were inflated because they were really good at doing homework. Um, I also had students whose grades were deflated because they weren't really good at those things, but they knew the material. So I needed to have a grade that actually reflected what they knew. Um, so when I shifted that mindset, it also shifted the conversations I have with students. It wasn't as Sean was saying about, well, you only got this many points. It was, what evidence have you provided me that you have learned this? Mm -hmm. um, and I provide in my space, multiple opportunities to show me what they know. Uh, I will grade labs and I will grade projects that provide a creative space for them to show me what they know about a topic. Um, I also still have the traditional tests with the multiple choice, the short answer, the problem solving um, as part of a whole suite of assessments. So I do have averages. I will have a four point scale for every single assignment. Um, the four is exceeds expectations, and that is an A. A B would be equivalent to a three, where they're proficient. A two is you're not quite there yet. You're partially proficient, and you're at a two. Um, and then zeros and ones, I, I have a one that's a D, but I never accepted that. 
Um, if they got a one, I always pushed them and said, nope, yeah, do this again. So I didn't really have Ds in my class. I had Fs for kids who just didn't do anything or didn't really show a lot of evidence. And then I had a lot of Bs and some As and Cs. Um, so the that that scale really helped me shift their conversations, um, especially if they were struggling. And I say, you know what? You're proficient right now. You want to push yourself a little bit more. Or, you know, right now you're really struggling to get that partial proficiency that passes. So what do we need to do to get you to that C level? Um, and, and every kid's conversation was different. Right. But I, I think it was, you know, I, I also do something similar to what, what you do in, in one of my classes. And it, it seems like the conversations that you have with the students are like, like Sean said, not necessarily about the points anymore. It's like, how do we get over this hump on this particular topic? Um, and so I think that that's, that's a really valuable shift in the conversation with students so that you're giving them feedback on their understanding rather than, well, what do we have to do to get you to a 75, you know, which is, a, you know, it's just a very different conversation. Um, Nick, can you tell us a little bit about what you do um, in, in your courses uh, along these lines? Sure. Thanks for having me today. Um, I've gone through, you know, you can think of this arc of, you know, your own character development, and <laughs> I'm going through this arc, and I've gone, I've shifted from um, a, a gamified design, course design, to where students were really involved with, you know, getting getting points and figuring out how to accumulate points to get to the next level and all that kind of stuff, and then all of a sudden I realized, geez, just like um, uh, Sean, I said, these, these students are are focused on just points. They don't even, they're not even focused on learning. So I've got to, I've got to totally change this. Um, so now I tell my students uh, really on the first day of class that my class is pointless. Um, <laughs> I don't use points. <laughs> um, and I'm modeling my course more on uh, the idea of, uh, you can call it equity grading or grading for growth, or I like to sometimes even call it humanistic grading. Um, we're all humans and we all make mistakes. And um, it's really important to be able to recover from those mistakes. And not only that, you know, telling students that, hey, we learn from mistakes. But if we're grading students um, like on their homework and they, you know, oh, they didn't get the homework correct. So now you're actually punishing them for trying to learn and making a mistake. Um, so uh, instead of having a zero to 100 scale, um, kind of like Stephanie said, I, I use a zero to a four. And I don't tell, I, I tell students it's not points, it's a four point. So it's a grade, right? Our our final grades are, you know, you get a four point, three point five, three point. And so I'm telling students, I'm putting a grade on your paper. I'm not putting points on there. Um, and just a short conversation with students saying, if I use a 100-point scale, right, zero to 60 is failing. 60% of, of, of a grading scale would be failing. Um, and that's why I bring up the concept of actually the original F-bomb, which would be a zero on a, on a large assignment right. that wipes you out, which is pretty demotivating to students. Um, and, and grading, really, you should think of grading as how do I use a grade to motivate students? Um, never, never in the history of, of education has a threat of a zero been motivating. 
um, it's demotivating. Right. Uh, so I kind of have to remove that and really rethink uh, what we're doing with grades and how we're how we're doing those. Um, do I have homework assignments? Sure, I do. But uh, instead of giving students points on those, I give students, I use, um, uh, it's called an EMRN scale. Um, and you can Google that. There's a rubric and it takes you about two seconds to grade a paper because you're, you're going, um, uh, it's, it's, a, it's almost like a, a binomial scale. Did they turn it in? Did they not? Did they do this? Did they do that? Um, and you wind up with EMRN, which is um, exceeds, meets, uh, needs revision or not accessible. Um, and that's usually the end is usually a uh, student didn't turn it in right. um, type of thing. Um, and so uh, kind of like uh, Stephanie had mentioned, um, I'm only grading um, what students have learned, their academic knowledge. So that discounts um, all formative assessment. And I tell, and so now I have to have conversations with students of what is summative assessment? What is formative yeah. assessment? Yeah, um, exactly. And those are, you know, you have to spend time with that, but I think it's time well spent and students start to understand what is what they're responsible for um, and what why formative assessment is necessary. Um, So I'm I'm giving students feedback on those homeworks and I don't have a lot of students like, oh, I don't have to do the homework. I'm never doing the homework. They still do um, because they want to know where they are sitting um, by the time they get to the summit of assessment. Right. Um, so it appears maybe on first blush that the summit of assessment then becomes incredibly high stakes. Um, you're only grading on summit of assessment. But then you give students a little relief valve and saying, look, we don't all learn at the same rate, right? Um, four weeks, you know, that that I that my first unit is four weeks is an artificial um uh, timeline. Uh, some of you are going to take five weeks to learn. Some of you are going to take three. Um, and so if at four weeks you haven't learned it and you don't do well on the summative test, well, that summative test just became formative for you. Um, you're going to work through and you're going to show me that you you can learn the stuff in five weeks, maybe. Right. Um, it kind of shifts, it almost shifts everything into almost like a one-room schoolhouse um, you've got students at different levels. You have to realize that there are students at different levels. Um, and those students can actually help one another. Uh, the ones that the ones that know it can get done fast and maybe turn around and help the students that are are you know behind them in in their learning curve to uh, to to help them out. Right. Uh, so it 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 really shifts the way I've looked at classes, the way I've looked at students. Um, and i've I've really appreciated kind of the process that I've gone through to get to the point where I'm, where I'm really focusing on what do students know? How can they show that to me um, and maintain student motivation all the way throughout the semester or throughout the course? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that, that all three of you have have mentioned here is revision of, of what students are doing. And uh, you know, as I mentioned, I do something similar to this, you know, uh, non-traditional grading scheme where I have in one course a couple of learning objectives. I, actually, it should take 10 learning objectives. And throughout the semester, those learning objectives are touched upon. You know, they're not all touched upon in the first week, you know, but throughout the semester, we're going to hit them 
and they will show up on exams. And so each exam question is labeled, well, this is learning objective seven. And so that the students know that they need to, you know, here are my places where, oh, I wasn't doing very well in this learning objective in, you know, the quizzes. So in that early formative assessment, so I really need to do better. Or in the first exam, I didn't do well. And we've talked about this. So I'm going to, you know, really work hard on this particular area. So it allows the students to target things that they don't know well, more so than the things that they do know well. Um, and again, you know, it, it get, gets back to, you know, something that we were talking about is like having the students know what they know and also have them recognize what they don't know well is very important. Um, you know, again, all of the all of the buzzwords that, that, that we've all been using right now all sound very much like the things that Pogel people tend to talk about anyway. Being able for students to reflect on what they're doing, be able to um, revise their thinking, being able to talk with one another, um, to share understanding. Um, so I, I want to come back to uh, sort of a little bit about an idea. You know, now that you've, we've all described what we're, what we're talking about, or you know, what, what we each do. Um, and, and and we've all sort of mentioned some of the positives. What's it been like to try to implement this at your institution? Um, and and I'll, I'll allow any of the three of you to jump in first. Um, Stephanie, you probably had more interesting conversations in a public school than those of us who teach in higher ed have had to deal with. But, you know, maybe a blessing and a curse there. Um, so you tell us a little bit about what the response has been like. Yeah, the... Um... Initially, I was just kind of a lone eagle, kind of trying it on my own, trying to work within our current systems to go to this four-point scale. Uh, and as my administrators were watching what I was doing, um, they wanted to bring this school-wide. So we did end up making this a school policy of um, standards-based grading, and we worked probably close to six or seven years, and that's now gone um, district-wide as well. All our high schools are now implementing standards-based grading um, throughout. Uh, but some of the biggest pushback we got uh, was teachers really not liking that formative assessments were graded. Um, they reported that, or they were graded, but it's a very small portion of their grade. It ended up being 20% of their grade. Um, they reported that students just didn't do their work and then just waited till the test, kind of wing it type attitude. Right. And because they also then had the retake option. So they wouldn't study for the test. They want to do the formatives and then they would go to the test, see where they got. They get to see the test and then, oh, now I can retake. Uh, I did not have those problems in my classroom. And I think that's really how I framed the formatives. Um, kind of like what you were saying, Alex, that it gives them information on how they're doing. And I also responded to it. When, I, when they didn't do well, I would have private conversations with them. Or as, as a class, they didn't do well. The next day, we didn't get this. We need to go over it. Right. So it became integral into what our everyday work was. And so the kids then did their formative assessments. Um, the retakes, I made them work for it. They didn't automatically just get a retake. They had to do some work to show me that they worked on reviewing the material. And then they were able to get the retake. Um, so that's kind of how I solved both of those pushbacks I was getting um, yeah. from my 
Thanks. Yeah, it, 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 it's interesting. The um, you were saying about the, the quizzes and students not necessarily uh, working hard, you know, initially because they just you know want to see how it went on the exam. Um, I find that that is a student who doesn't necessarily jump in and 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 try out formative assessment and 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 you know like we've been talking about you need to start to explain to student what is the difference between formative and summative assessment and you know I've had other cases where you give out a quiz and everybody gets a two and it's like uh, this is not where we wanted to be so I say it's also formative for me because it tells me where my class is at, which is just as important as you knowing where you as an individual are at in the class. So. Right. And if I can, if I can jump in, sure. um, um, as far as my institution, my institution really supports doing cool things, doing new things, um, taking, taking risks, uh, not wild, not fantastic risks, but, you know, well thought out risks. Um, and uh, I I presented what I'm doing to our board, um, and I got positive feedback and positive reception from that. Um, uh, and actually, uh, because they, <laughs> of course, the uh, the local news was there, and they they wrote a story on it. And I've been actually getting feedback from um, uh, community members that are really excited by you know, kind of what I'm doing and, and have had feedback and conversations with those community members. So it's been fun. Um, has it all been uh, gumdrops and rainbows? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, uh, there are certainly um, maybe, you know, as Stephanie mentioned, there are certain faculty members that are like, you can't do this is not this is not going to work. You can't do this. Um, we're not seeing it follow through with students. You know, I'm, I'm doing A&P, which is uh, for many of our students is pre-nursing. And so getting pushback from uh, perhaps a nursing program, you know, said, well, you know, you've got to make sure that this happens and this happens. Um, and it, as far as students go, students, it, I find that not only am I an educator, but I'm also a marketer um, and I market what I'm doing. Um, that means I have to tell students exactly why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, and I make mention of the fact that, hey, if you can, if you can get a four point on an exam without doing any homework, good for you, right? You've learned it somehow, some way. It's just that I wasn't, you know, I hate to use the word, I wasn't paternalistic in saying, you have to take, you have to do all the homework. You figured it out, great. Um, but if you don't do well and you didn't do the homework, that's another conversation. Um, and those are things that students need to figure out, I think on their own. Um, but I've also I also mentioned to students that look yeah you can retake the exam how many times do you want to take it do you want to take that exam four times mm -hmm. five times um, and most of them like, no I want to be take it once and be done right and so you're, you're I'm trying to give them that that um, opportunity and maybe we need to look at testing different and I've said you know all right we're going to do a pretest um, if you do well in the pretest then you don't have to take the test. And that motivates students to do well the first time. Um, and uh, I think maybe as you mentioned, Alex, you know, testing actually really should be informing us as instructors of how we're doing as well. Yeah. Um, and I just now now my mind is you know expanding and blowing up because I'm thinking 
uh, I've read something else like, you know, final exams should actually be two to three weeks before the end of the semester. So you find out what you've done wrong and you fix that in the last two to three weeks. You're right. 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 So sometimes, you know, we we think of exams as being the end of the unit. Actually, it should be maybe the middle of the unit to figure out what students need to, to work on to get right. to know what they need to know. Right. Um, and I think this kind of grading, as soon as you start in this process, and this is, I'm not done. Um, Alex, I'd love to have, you know, all of my exam questions have, you know, objective seven next to it. They don't yet. And that's some, that's some place I've got to go. So this takes a long time to get there. But as I think as soon as you start the process, you realize, oh my gosh, I have been really destroying students for no reason for so many years. If I give a student an F, I'm affecting their perhaps their long-term earning potential. Right. Right. I don't I, I don't want that. I want them to be successful. And how can I get them to be successful? Yeah. And- Will all students be successful? Probably not, but that's you know, I, I want it to be on them, yeah. not on me. Yeah, you want to be able to help the ones who can be helped and 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 want to be helped. It was it's interesting, you know, when I said that I I I labeled every question by a particular learning objective for the course. Um you know, it's a it was a very simple thing that I did simply so that I could give them at the end of each test, say, oh, here were the learning objectives that were covered. And then I realized in one exam that I had only one question that covered one of the important learning objectives. So I was like, oh, I should really label these before I give them the exam so that I know that I am mm-hmm. covering that you know, on the exam that I'm, you know, we've, we've spent a bit of time on this and there's only one question on this in the exam. Um, and then I also realized that, you know, I had had questions that I would historically put on an exam that really didn't get at something that I wanted to get at. So yeah, absolutely. It, you, like you say, it really makes you think more about what you're doing. So Sean, we haven't heard from you. You teach at an institution where there might be a little bit of pressure on some of your students to do right. well in general chemistry. Absolutely. <laughs> and so uh, I, I wonder what, what kind of what kind of pushback you've had there. So most of the students who come through my class are, are not chemistry majors. They're right. taking okay. chemistry class because they have to. Um, they, they, yeah. They're really put in the position of uh, coming to take this task, this class. It's a burden on them. It is a a flaming hoop that they have to jump through. Um, <laughs> and that, that's where they're coming from. And, and they've got very legitimate career objectives. And I'm trying to get them to be at least a little bit interested in the chemistry and, and try to get them on board to the learning process. And using moving away from a, a traditional uh, grading approach has really helped me communicate with my students so much better of... Um, so I've loved hearing uh, some common themes from from everybody here, both Nick and Stephanie, and and, and I all chose a and you chose a four point system for communicating uh, with our students, and uh, so I've also got a four point system. So when students come to me and they say, "Oh, I did really bad on the last assessment," I can say, "Okay, well, what did, what score did you get? Oh, I got three out of four. Okay, I've got great information all of a sudden. Who is a student and where are they coming from? Right. So in my class, the, the questions 
have different levels of sophistication from the retrieval level questions that are about the basics, the information you need, going up to the highest level questions that are you know, very open-ended and ask students to be creative. So if a student comes and says they got a three out of four, that means the piece they still need to work on are the, the communicating their thinking, explaining a full justification, um, being creative and taking a, an idea in a new direction. So those are the types of things I can have those high level conversations with students. And at the same time, if a student comes to me and says, I did really badly, I got a zero out of four, boom, I know right away, this student, okay, we need to start at the beginning. We need to start with the basic facts and ideas and formulas. And don't, don't worry about that other stuff yet, the really sophisticated problem solving. That can come later. Let's focus on the basic pieces, the basic understanding, and let's focus on those two levels to begin with. And so it's helped me communicate with my students so much more clearly. And it's because, like you're saying, everything's aligned to a learning objective. I can say, this is the topic. Let's get that learning objective out. Let's underline all of the words in that learning objective. Did you miss some? Maybe they're just some ideas that, you know, just weren't on your radar. So that helping me to communicate with my students has really helped them buy into the process. Right. So the, from the students, the vast majority of the feedback that I get is really positive. I mean, it's the thing that they kind of like best about my course, honestly. The, you know, students will say, uh, I feel so much less stressed. And for me, that's a wonderful compliment all on right. its own because stress right. is bad for learning. It's really bad for learning. Um, they wish all their classes had the ability to retake an assessment. Right. Um, there is a small fraction of, of the students who, who complain about, who, who share the complaint that they um, are a little frustrated by the proficient, not proficient grading. There's no partial credit. They'll say things like, you know, I feel like I learned so much, but I didn't get a good grade because I didn't have any partial credit. So, you know, they're, they're still feeling that frustration, right. um, but it's really quite a small fraction of students and by and large, uh, students are on board and are really positive behind it. Yeah. Now, how are other faculty responding? That's, that's an evolving that's, story. That's, that's, a, that's a different question. <laughs> that's a totally other question. And, and I'm really trying to encourage the other chemistry faculty to try considering uh, a grading approach that's not the same exams that they've given for 20 years or, you know, right. whatever it might be. Um, and that's a, that's an ongoing conversation. And I'm having to just share with folks what we're doing. No, look, really, this works. Allowing students to retake assessments doesn't mean that everyone gets an A and leaves the class, um, nor does opening, you know, asking really challenging questions. It also doesn't mean that everybody flunks the class. You know, there's still a, a really broad range of students I feel like I can challenge students to really show me what they can do. But I also have this, you know, the students who have, um, you know, they just want to pass the course. Right. It's really clearly articulated to them. Here's what you need to do to pass. And here's right. what the expectations are. Um, so that that's the mix of, of how things have gone for me. Yeah, it, 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 it's interesting because one of the things that I think particularly when you talk to faculty who've been around for a while and they don't necessarily want to change, one of the big keys is, as, as somebody had said this before, shifting the mindset to what do the students know? 
And, you know, for some faculty members, unfortunately, that's not, you know, that's not something that they think about because they think they're thinking about just delivering material and then seeing what the students can do with it, you know, and, and so, uh, but I'm pretty sure that, you know, most of the Pogel people out there really are considering what, what do students know? uh, And, you know, these different, you know, again, the alternatives to traditional grading, as we're calling it, these standards-based methods really help us as instructors know where the students are at. Um, you know, one of the other things that that, that I will say, and, uh, you know, dep- depending on your field and what you're, what you're teaching, this may or may not be an issue, but, you know, teaching general chemistry, you have a lot of students come in who are math phobic. Okay. Very much and, so. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure Stephanie, you had this, you know, in the middle school a lot where students were afraid of the math that you were asking them to do. And so what I would do is say, for example, in a stoichiometry problem or balancing equations or figuring out how much material was generated from a particular reaction, I actually would separate out in in grading that question, how well did they understand the setting up of that problem and sort of moving the symbols around against doing the math? and getting the significant figures right and and using all of that stuff. And if you separate that out, you find that students really, you know, some of them know how to do the stoichiometry. They just have trouble as soon as you put digits in front of them. And so, you know, they it, it was it was eye-opening for a couple of my students in this one class where they're like, "Huh, I get this part. It's just, you know, figuring out what I'm supposed to do with the numbers at the end, which is the math part. Uh, and and I separate the, those out in the learning objective. And all of a sudden they realize, oh, I can do this. It's just, I need to pay more attention to my math skills. Yeah, I get your point about um, math phobia. I think in the middle school and high school, we also see that um, sometimes what we're asking students to do mathematically is beyond what they've gotten to in math. And so it's really important that we are aligning our math objectives um, and our math expectations with the math teachers uh, and and making sure we're not asking them to do more than they've conceptually um, gotten to in their math classes. Uh, Another way that I get around uh, the math phobia um, or maybe a disconnect in math abilities is I think what we see more in, in high school and middle school Uh, is separating the objectives. So I have an objective that is more conceptual uh, for that unit. And then I also have an objective that is mathematical. So can, for example, in a physics class, uh, can you manipulate F equals MA? Can you read a word problem and identify the different variables and solve for an unknown? And then a different objective that really is assessing uh, the Newton's laws in a more conceptual and conceptual way. And then if they're struggling in either one of those, I know where to put my attention in when I'm helping them. Uh, so in my revision process, I they're not retaking the whole test on, let's say, Newton's laws. They're either focusing their attention on the math or I'm focusing their attention on the conceptual um, and I'm really targeting what they need help with 
by separating the math from the concepts. So right, right. And similarly, having clearly articulated learning objectives helps make the grading of um, open-ended questions much more straightforward. Yeah. So I, I've had colleagues come up to me and say, how can you ask an open-ended question? Because, you know, they could answer in any way that they want. Right. And having a specific learning objective means that I'm looking for proficiency at that learning objective. If they've right. given, you know, some other answer that takes the question in some direction I didn't anticipate, that is not really addressing the learning objective, well, maybe it's a great answer, but it's not the learning, it's it's not addressing, right. showing, demonstrating, giving me some evidence that you're proficient at this learning objective. And it just took all of the gamesmanship from the grading perspective, which has allowed me to ask a whole new kind of set of questions that are just a lot more fun and interesting yeah. and can ask students to take what they know and kind of use it in a, in a fun way. Where do you want to take? If you could change the rules of quantum mechanics... <laughs> how would how would that work out for the periodic table? Uh, so like opening up something like that is just a lot more fun and engaging for the students who really want to try to perform at the highest levels, right. of, uh, you know, demonstrate really high level critical thinking skills. Yeah. And uh, kind of piggybacking on that a little bit. Um, and I know, um, I think Alex, you said you're you're going to put some of the resources that that we kind of use in a, in a kind of a references or works cited type of thing for the for the podcast. Yeah, we'll um, we'll ha we'll have that on the show notes. So yeah, and so listening. one of the one of the other kind of pieces that I do besides you know trying to trying to do this humanistic grading uh, grading for growth is getting students to start assessing themselves, mm -hmm. um, and that one that takes some of the burden off yourself, right? The students, but if if you're learning objectives, your learning outcomes are clearly defined, which of course I am still working on. Um, it's much harder than, than it seems. Right. Um, it really is. Um, you can, I give students tracking sheets. Here's the objective. Where do you think you are? Grade yourself four, three, two, one. Um, and students have to turn those tracking sheets in when they turn in uh, exams. Uh, and I also ask them as they're turning in their exam or their, their work, or whatever, what grade do you think you got on this? Oh, my students um, and, then, <laughs> and then we turn around and say, this is the grade that you think you got a, a four point. You got a three point. Now we have right now there's some discord here. How are we going to fix this? Why do you think you, so I'm having students explain themselves as well. Um, again, that takes time in your class to, to, to train students how to self-assess, but that's a really important skill um, that we're going to send students out into the world with. Um, so again, that's part of that student buy-in and having students involved, really involved in their own education. Mm -hmm. um, and so actually when it comes to final grade time, I have, I, I um, kind of take Myron, I think he's, he'll be in the, the notes, Myron Duex uh, version. I do conversation-based grading. Um, so at the very end of the class, we students and I sit down one on one and we talk about it. What do you think you got um, versus what do I think you have? Um, what did you demonstrate? Right. Um, and not a single student walks away not knowing their final grade. Right. Um, and most of them, um, you know, they'll say, yep, I, I wish I could have done better, but 
um, yeah, I, I I think that grade is fair. And in in the three four semesters that I've done this, I've only had one student tried to um, uh, overgrade themselves. Uh, most most students undergrade themselves. So um, that fear is unfounded. All right. Well, um, I, you know, this has been a great conversation. Um, I actually have gotten some some new ideas to to put into my next course. Uh, and I really want to thank uh, Stephanie, Sean, and Nick for uh, joining me uh, in the Pogo podcast, talking about alternatives to traditional grading. And as you can tell, I think the conversation is going to continue going on about this. Um, and so I really appreciate the time uh, that you guys have spent with us today. Um, any last words from any of you? Well, this is a, a, a lot of fun. And I really think this is a cutting edge for where the transformation in teaching is going. Like, I, I think, you know, student-centered learning approaches like Pogel have got it right. I, I feel like that's a solved problem. It's still hard to do, but I think we, we, as a community, know what we're doing. But I think assessment of student learning is the new frontier and figuring out what's really student-centered assessment. How do we do this effectively? What are the themes? How, how, do, we, how do we understand what we're doing and how to best achieve that? I think that's a, a big new area. And uh, I think there's going to be a lot of activity. A lot of folks are seeing the old ways are really stuck and are not helping our students get the learning uh, outcomes that we want. And so I, I think this is a big new field. Yeah. Yeah. Uh I wanted to say, you're not going to have a perfect system your first time, but give yourself some grace, <laughs> give yourself time to go through it. Um, but also look at the resources that are out there of what systems have worked. And, you know, there's a lot of different examples out there now and start somewhere. You might not have your learning objectives done. You might not have a very clear assessment aligned to your learning objectives, but you can start somewhere and then grow and and give yourself also some grace for making mistakes. Absolutely. I mean, I started doing this by talking with probably four or five different people uh, on, you know, and, and, you know, watching talks and reading things and sort of trying to narrow it down. Uh, and I will tell you that I'm only doing this in one of my four courses that I teach over the course of an academic year. So uh, I'm, I'm slowly transforming. So. Yeah. yeah, I think this is a conversation that could go on for hours, days, weeks. Um, I think it is a very important topic right now. And um, like Stephanie said, I think we have to give ourselves some grace in the fact that, you know, we may not have understood, we may not have known that there are other ways to grade students. And we have to kind of forgive ourselves for not for not realizing that there are better ways out there. Um, we just didn't know it, uh, but we know it now and we we need to shift that. We need to this does have to be a groundswell and we do have to really think about what we're doing with students. If we're, you know, what is our job? Is our job to unlock their potential or to grade them? Right. Um, I think our job is to support all students and unlock their potential and make sure that they learn what we say that they're, they should be learning. Right. Well done. Well, I want to thank you uh, all for joining us today for the Pogel podcast. This has been very informative to me. Stay tuned. We will have more things coming up the rest of the season on the Pogel podcast. 
Well, thanks to Alex and Stephanie, Sean, and Nick for just a great, great conversation on a topic that I agree is is going to be a very important topic going forward uh, in terms of how we assess our students' progress and our students' knowledge. Maybe you have some innovative ways that you're using grading in your classroom. Let us know what those are. Uh, put something in at hashtag the Pogo podcast on the Facebook page and, and we can continue the conversation. And by the way, we have just finished our first Zoom happy hour of the season. We had a great time. A lot of great people showed up. A lot of great conversation. Uh, we hope that uh, if you were there, you're going to come back for, for the next session. And if you missed it, we'd like to see you in the next session down the road. So for everybody at the Polka Podcast, we hope you're doing really well in your uh, classrooms. We hope your students are doing really well in their classrooms. And we'll see you next time on the Pogo Podcast. <music>